You're listening to the Local Open Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Heath. Today, we talk with Linda Sussman. Linda has been a lifelong musician, but the singer and songwriter phase of her life began some five or so years ago. In that time, Linda has managed three full album releases and is on the cusp of her fourth. Yes, all in four years. She considers herself a roots folk singer, but has some amazingly bluesy tunes that will leave you in awe of her versatility. She regularly appears on the roots folk charts and has garnered radio airplay all along the way. We will share the backstory to three deeply personal songs, including one of her blues tunes. Join me for a dive into the musical journey of Linda Sussman. And we have with us today Linda Sussman. How are you doing, Linda? I'm doing well. How are you, Tim? I'm doing well. You came on my radar, let me just say, from all the people I've interviewed back there on Long Island, (laughs) seeing you chime in on conversations that uh, I was following or participated in. And then I interviewed Josie Bello. And she a wonderful just, songwriter. Yeah, and she thinks the world of you, and she says, you've got to talk to Linda. And so I remember the one story Josie told where you helped her in acquiring a classical guitar. <laughs> and so I thought anybody that's going to help another person <laughs> acquire an exotic classical guitar, I've got to talk with. And so, uh, so we're here today. Well, thanks for having me. And yeah, Josie's just, she's, she's a wonderful, wonderful artist and a wonderful person. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah. So uh, let's talk about what's been going on in the last year. What do you think your fans are going to want to know about it? And then maybe what do you have coming up, you know, planned yeah. for the near future? Yeah. So I've been quite busy on my end, um, you know, with, with, I'm sure everyone you've been talking to has been, you know, talking about the pandemic and how that's hampered them or given them space to do other things. I'm still just just to set the stage for where I'm at in the world right now. um, I am still very much isolating. Um, Okay. so. You know, I, I just am, I haven't yet taken the the step to do any indoor anything. So I'm getting there. Um, with it all, I've been very productive musically because I've had a lot more time here at home. So most recently, let's see, I think folks will want to know that I do have a new album that's coming out this year. I know. I'm very, very excited about it. like new projects it. coming to the people. <laughs> it's, a, it's a new baby to be shared. And um, that should be out in just a couple months. Uh, it will be another full-length, all-original album. How um, many songs? There are nine tracks on this one. It's the shortest one I've ever done. Okay. But it's in the zone. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. And um, that actually follows. I released an, an album in February of last year Okay. Uh, called These Walls, and um, we can talk a bit about that at some point during That's this. That's a uh, good pace once a year. That's pretty fast. Yeah. I, but although this is my, it's going to be my fourth album in five years. Well, so God bless you. I've been, you know, it's interesting because I, we were talking a little bit about this ahead of time, and um, I had had a, like a 10 or 12 year hiatus from music when we were doing a lot of caretaking of all four parents. And then I was dealing with health issues of my own. And then when I got back into um, uh, my music, which was about 2015, 2016, it's just been nonstop since. Wow. Yeah. So. Well, good. As well, lo- we have some songs that we'll share that you can tell us the stories to and uh, with your background, you're probably just all full of all sorts of stories, so that's good. Um, yeah, and I've been doing other things. Last night, actually, I, I've been doing a lot of uh, Zoom events. Um, I'm a little bit Zoomed out, like everyone has Zoom fatigue. <laughs> but it is, you know, it's, it's what I have right now because I'm pretty much stuck at home. So I make the, the best of it. My spouse is an award-winning poet. 
And okay. she, she and I put a program together that we debuted last night um, that was really well received. It was poetry oh, and song. Yeah. Wonderful. So uh, we mentioned just before we got started, uh, you were in publishing most of your life. Yeah. And we're giving away some of the interview <laughs> later on, but that's, <laughs> hey, it's my show. We'll do it the way we want, right? And I had mentioned my daughter just had a book published today. This is uh, April 4th. Awesome. Uh, but she's also a published poet, also. Wow. So, okay. We're yeah. going to have to exchange some info. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, poem she had published was a long time ago when she was still in high school. So, but she's a published poet. What can I say? She got one, one published and... That's what counts sometimes. That's what counts. Yeah. So, yep. well, good. Congratulations uh, to your spouse on the uh, poetry stuff. So Yeah, good. yeah. No, she just came out with a book of poetry. It's great. And, um, yeah, and we were able to put, put this really nice show together where she would read a few poems, certain focus sec- in a you know, section, and then I just, like, come right in with a song. And it just seemed to work really well. Um, okay. Yeah, so that was a good thing. And I co-hosted a uh, benefit, a virtual benefit for to raise money for um, UNICEF. Oh, for all right. Their... You don't hear UNICEF too much these days, do you? Yeah. When we were growing up, we always had the, the little can that we brought home from school that was yep. for UNICEF. And we had to go yep. to neighbors trying to get it filled up and, you know. Yes, I'm exactly. That old. <laughs> it's me. I am too. I'm right there with you, Tim. But hopefully, you know, I've, people I spoke to afterwards, everyone I spoke to donated. And so, you know, it's just trying to do what we can. Yeah. I suppose yeah. if I went door to door with the UNICEF can, there'd be some people that look at me and go, that is such a cliche. <laughs> You know, UNICEF. Yeah, but they they do such good work, though. I mean, yeah, there are so do. many. There are so many. You know, organizations uh, that are doing such incredible humanitarian relief. You know, work. Oh yeah, yeah, and um, you know, for people that haven't taken the time to investigate what they actually do, they they really should because mm-hmm. even though it's attached to the UN, and you know, in in the US maybe more than even Canada, where I'm at. Uh, the UN, depending on what circles you run in, has sometimes a dubious, mm-hmm. you know, people are, are not pro, not against. They're just sort of, eh, I don't know. And But UNICEF does some particularly good things and always has. Right, so, right. right. Yeah. yeah, so that's what I've got. Um, that's what I've been, been doing most recently. Do you have any concerts coming up? I know you don't get out of the home uh, by choice at this point, but do you have any, I I guess, video concerts you're planning on or live ones? Well, actually, I did say yes to a to an outdoor um, lineup. There are six oh, in the lineup, and so I'm doing that in uh, in another month or so. So that will be my first outing. Uh, well, the since... outdoor is the safest place to be with yeah. what's been going on the last couple of years. Exactly, exactly. And then I hope to play our local park, our big uh, festival um, in the summer. So, or no, it's actually early fall. Um, But I'm sure there'll be other things coming up. I have, you know, before the pandemic hit, I was going to be doing my second run of a New England tour. Oh, okay. I had everything lined up. It was, I think, four or five places, New Hampshire, Vermont, and then the pandemic hit. And so obviously everything got, got canceled. And then I was invited last year at points, I guess, toward the, how do I forget. Last, I was invited last year for this year, and I turned them down because I was just still a little bit too nervous. But I'm hoping to get all of those back <laughs> either um, later this summer or next year. It's probably too late for later this summer, but one never really knows. So never I'm hoping. Does. No, I really am hoping to get to do those gigs. So have you done much uh, touring? Not much touring. I just retired mid last year from my full time okay. job, and so now I have more time on my hand. So I'd like to do some touring when it's safe for me to do that. Okay. Well, let's yeah. let's hope safe happens sooner than later for you. No kidding. You bet. So I tell you what. 
Why don't we get to your first song? Let's talk about Chain of Hope. Why don't you give us the backstory to that? Mm -hmm. Uh, Everybody's going to want to know that. Okay, so Chain of Hope is my newest song, and it is going to be the first track on my coming album. Um, I wrote it, I was really felt inspired to write it, you know, when the war on Ukraine um, uh, happened. And I thought to myself, you know, I really, I don't want to write a song about just about the angst of what's going on because it is so heart-wrenching. I really want to expand that to the refugees and those who are helping them. So I really dedicate this song to those who are working with refugees for their relief. And it's interesting because just this morning I was I actually had an email from from a DJ who likes to play my music and he was asking me, he, he knew this song was coming, and he's like, you know, he plays a lot of social justice and political activist sure. um, songs, and we got into a discussion about the, the usefulness or the purpose of playing that kind of music and writing that music. You know, there's, there's, there's no song that is, is going to stop, you know, the, the weapons of war. Um, but, Not you know, likely. What, <laughs> right. But what is the purpose, you know, of writing and sharing those songs? Yeah. You know, and it was an interesting conversation we had. And I guess I really feel that it's really important to just keep the realities of the world front and center. And it's also it's cathartic and it makes people feel connected. Oh, sure. And, you know, I think if it changes a few lives along the way, uh, what's the harm in that? Right. That's right. That's right. We tend to live in our own silos. And as songwriters, we have an opportunity to share what's inside of us and get it out there. But but before you play Chain of Hope, I do want to say that I do also think that there there is a place for the more pointed song that is making a statement about a particular incident or... Sure, um, sure. Yeah. So we've got Chain of Hope, and we're going to talk about the Ukraine thing. And by the way, that's a very timely song to have because we might have to deal with this whole thing for for quite some time. You know? I know, I uh, know. Even if the dust starts to settle, there's going to be a lot of fallout from what has gone on politically, not I just fear socially. I you're right. Yep. So let's get to that. This is called Chain of Hope. Oh, the refugee. 
that will be a timeless song. Yay! That's, uh, yeah, that... Uh, <laughs> That, you know, I was listening to it with the context of some of what we were talking about. And that song, you know, um, if I say this, sadly, the next refugee mm-hmm. global thing that occurs, that song yeah. is equally appropriate, right? Yeah, yeah. So something I- people can turn to for, you know, some encouragement that there's a chain of hope, right? Right. And, and you know, I, I did give a little yay when you said that it would be, you know, uh, in the timeless category. But that really, you know, I think about these songs and I we would all love to just shelve them and never have to play them again. Right. So exactly. I, I, I just want to put that out there. I was really responding to, you know, just that I felt that that it resonated. Very good song, Chain of Hope. I hope that it continues to uh, get traction. Now, this this isn't a finished version, is it? Is it a so preliminary you just, still? Yeah, what you just played is the mix, and okay. um, it will be mastered with the whole album, although just tonight I did get a, a lightweight mastered version of it uh, that I just shared with, with two uh, radio hosts. Oh, so, wow. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I hope yeah. it gets lots of airplay. Uh, Thank you. The song is deserving of that. Thanks, so Tim. let's uh, let's notch back in your life to when you started doing all this writing about five, <laughs> six, seven years ago. What was that like? What kind of I know you came off a particularly long period where mm. you're doing other things. So, yeah, we may but, get to that at some point. But tell us about this last five last or six th- years that lead up to now. Right. So so these are the, these albums, these four, including the one coming, these four um, are a, a real shift for me from my past, because in my, my very far past, you know, I did things like I fronted a folk rock band, cover band, and, um, you know, <laughs> way back. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. And, and then I, I was in a, tr- a, a trio, just a three women trio. Jazz guitar, flute, and me, my guitar, um, but and and I did re- have two other albums, but those were just solo. And then fast forward to the past five years, and um, I, you know, sometimes I think, especially for women musicians, um, or it's just me, I don't know, but it took a really long time in my life to um, for me to be able to approach other musicians, especially very top tier musicians, to ask if they would be interested or if they take a listen to my music and be interested in in recording with me. Oh, okay. And, and so that is what happened. Um, you know, I'm a very solid guitarist. I'm a solid vocalist. Um, I know that I am, you know, I... I um, I believe in myself and I believe in my music, but when it came to playing with other people or asking other people, um, like I said, if they would record with me, it was that was definitely something I needed to get over. <laughs> I needed to believe enough in myself to be able to make that leap and reach out. You know, um, what's, what's kind of interesting, I, I can identify with that a little bit because um, the the. F- it, even though I have been performing all my life, I mm-hmm. kid you not, from the time I was right. 15 on. Right. That I've, sounds like me. I've been yeah. on a stage. I've been in front of people, even though I had to mostly earn my living doing other things. Right. Um, and one of the hardest things for me to do was to get up in front of people at an open mic. Hmm. It was it was very uh it i had a lot of anxiety when i first did it Mm -hmm. and i'll tell you why because even though i'd been up in front of people and singing that's a different effort than going to a place where you're at an open mic and frankly half the people at the open mic are just learning to sing just learning to play and you can tell people are politely clapping, encouraging Mm -hmm. them, right? Right. And occasionally you have the ringers show up that are just, why are you here? You're so good. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I get up there and and I'm doing a cover song. I never did cover songs. I was always (laughs) doing originals. And suddenly there I am in front of people doing a cover song, 
not knowing if it would, you know, be a yawner or people right. would uh, encourage me. Right. So, you know, it's very interesting. And I started to take a different uh, view of open mics as I got into it. I hosted mm -hmm. the open mics. So that mm -hmm. was part of it. Right. But then you put yourself on the line. You're not only the host. Now you're getting up in front of these people. You got this feeling you better be better than most. Right. And I found right. out I didn't necessarily have to be, mm. uh, even though I probably was if I analyze it all. But uh, right. it's still that feeling you have inside, right? So right. Well, well, the I understand pressure... that angst you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, you know it's self-imposed pressure. And um, so what I did, what what started me, um, was that I went to a performance of a friend, and he had a whole band with him. And I clicked just in terms of just, you know, responsiveness um, with one of the musicians. It was the percussionist. And I got up my gumption. And after their show, I just introduced myself and asked if he would be open to listening to my music and and possibly playing on on an album of mine because I was already planning. My wheels were going of of making this album. That's 2018 Every Road was the name of that album what uh did did they actually help you out and so that percussionist has played on every uh, every album i've made since oh wonderful yeah well, good yeah, for that's, you that's yeah. good and it's the same thing with also from that same band the lead guitarist mike nugent so the percussionist is richie guerrero the um uh lead guitarist mike nugent um at the time it was for the bass player cosmo malardi and he played on two of my albums, and then Kevin played on These Walls, the last one and the one coming, Kevin Kelly, um, and then a few other people. But those are my core um, studio musicians, and Mike and Richie um, and Mark Mancini on keys. He's not on this album, didn't have any keys on this album, but I felt so honored because they kept telling me and showing me um, by continuing to play that they really believed in my music and they would also gig with me. So oh, that's I, felt, important. Yeah. I felt doubly blessed to have such, such incredible musicians playing on my albums and agreeing to gig with me. We, we gigged at the Bitter End in the Village and, and other places and I was like, this is fabulous. And so I started having their their um, belief in me re really helped me a lot. And it also upped my, my game in terms of, of my playing. Even though some of my studio musicians offer to gig with me and do so for free, um, I, I just to be on the up and up here, I would pay anyone playing an evening on stage with me. So just to clarify. When I you know, did my tour up in New England, I was just, you know, I just do that solo. You know, and, and most gigs I do solo every now and then. Uh, this is all pre-pandemic, of course. Sure, uh, of course. Every now and then, like Mike, my lead guitarist, would, would join me. And that was a fun thing to just do the two of us. You know, so, so it's like, you know, it, it's all different um, presentations. But one thing that I didn't mention before and that I, I do want to mention is that, you know, when the pandemic hit, I was not set up with a home studio at all. And I had to learn everything because I did all of my tracks, the way that we did, the way that we recorded these walls and the way that we recorded this uh, coming album was I would lay my tracks, my guitar, my vocals, my harmonies, and then I would send them to um, Kevin Kelly for bass and Mike Nugent for lead guitar. And if I wanted a percussion, it would go um, to Richie or drums, someone else. Um, but it was, you know, we were never in the same room. It was a, a, a different energy. And even though there's like pros and cons to that, because I really missed the bouncing ideas off of each other um, in one room, especially with me and, and Mike, I would record at, at Mike's studio typically in the past. Sure. And he was like, you know, why don't you try this or try that? Um, but here it was, I was setting the stage for everything. And I was finishing my tracks and that was that. And, you know, I didn't redo anything, but it allowed me the freedom to really try 
completely new and different things without, you know, the, the eyes of someone else looking right, upon right. me. And it, it, it just gave me so much more freedom. Um, so that was, that, that's been an interesting lesson learned. And I hope I can take that um, sense of how I approached creating to the studio when I can get back into, into there. That's just amazing that uh, you were able to do that. So was there other things going on uh, during that five-year period besides just writing music? I mean, part of a musical journey is not merely a, a preoccupation with music. Part of it, mm-hmm. it makes us who we are is our daily lives and what goes right. on. Right. But, you know, during the pandemic and during the lockdown here in New York, there were many, many, many months of not much going on. Not much. Um, But I did, we were talking earlier about um, um, my uh, very good uh, friend, Josie Bello, and she and I started a weekly virtual uh, song swap. And so every Sunday morning we'd hop on online and we would do a song swap and chit chat. And we had, we were having 500 viewers. We had religiously, you know, 30, 40 people on the live stream itself. Um, It was a really well attended and I think very useful um, stream for people who were, especially in New York and in lockdown. Now, do you still do that? So we did that, yes. We, um, when is we, that? It, Give us the details for the yeah. your fans. Okay, so it changed. So <laughs> it started where it started mid-2020, um, early June, and that was, like I said, weekly Sunday mornings at 11 here Eastern Time. And that ran for just about a year uh, through May 2021 um, every week. And what I will say is we somehow were able to, each of us, and it was only original music we were doing, we'd swap one song and talk about it, and that was it. It was like 15, 20 minutes. And we never repeated a song. So our challenge to each, you know, to ourselves was to do an original song every week, new. I mean, not newly written, but we didn't repeat anything. So there was that. And then we took about a four-month break, and we we both needed a break from that. Um, We took a four-month break, and we came back in September of 2021, and we refashioned, um, we call this song break, and we refashioned it to monthly and to have an invited, featured singer-songwriter guest. Okay. So we've been doing that ever since, and we've had such a fun time. Do you still Um, get the participation you had before? Not like we had. Um, We don't get as many at all um, on the live stream itself. Um, I think we'll get like, you know, 20 people um, at the appointed time. But we still do get, you know, 200, sometimes 300 viewers thereafter. Well, you know, Um, that's sort of the the burden of today with uh, mm -hmm. being in a YouTube world. Is that if you don't keep something in front of people continuously, a one-month cycle doesn't necessarily draw the same crowd. Right. Where you were doing it weekly before, mm-hmm. and that resolution seemed to really resonate with people. They, It was a short enough cycle where they could get excited about maybe working on something themselves. You right. Know, just to do it. You know. Right, right. But I also think it was the time. It was really during the serious lockdown months. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then when, when you know, when things eased up, and especially these days, you know, people aren't so tied to their computers or their their homes, and they're getting out more, and they're going to live events, and that's great. Um, but we are keeping this going monthly, and Good. and we'll see how long it goes for. Yeah. Yeah. So now, uh, one of your album projects before the current one, uh, mm-hmm. now is the current project called Chain of Hope? I've gone back and forth, but I've settled now. I think I misled you on, an, on a recent email. The, it's, the album, I've settled this now, is called Shake It Loose Today. Shake It Loose. It is. It's a loud song. It's got drums with a heavy kick. It is a step out of your way if you need to figure out how to regroup. 
You know, I'm I'm looking at the songs you sent me. It's not in them. It's not in that group. <laughs> it's not. A kick you'll it have out, to, blow the cobwebs to, out kind of song, and it's not here. You'll have to wait for that. I'm sorry, Tim. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> now, your last project was called These Walls. Yeah. And so you've brought that song. Tell us the backstory to These Walls, and we'll play that for everyone. All right. So These Walls, I really just felt that um, a lot of the songs on the These Walls album were written during uh, lockdown. And I just felt, especially with this song, there's one other on the album, Eye of the Storm, but this this song especially, I just felt that it was Im- important to capture um, the pandemic in terms of what was going on for people within their walls, in, in their homes. Um, so, you know, I speak to, or it, it starts, the lyrics are, these walls may talk, these walls may cry. Um, like paint peeling up from the underside. You know, no one knows how long, at that point when I wrote it, how long the pandemic would last, what it would look like on the other side. Um, But it ends on a hopeful note um, where I use a, a metaphor of a spider's web and some of the ladders broken, but um, knowing um, how hard that that little spider fought to to keep that web alive. So that's the backstory on these walls. Okay, let's get to that song. This is called These Walls. These walls may talk, these walls may cry. From the underside, stories hidden within the cracks. What will they tell us when we look back? There was dancing in the kitchen. There was singing from town the hall. Wouldn't sit for an hour. Lights are fancy, taking them to the stars. Water won't wash away my tears. Water won't wash away my tears. Water won't wash away my tears. Water won't wash away.
very good song. Thank very, you. And I can see why you made that the uh, the title of the the album and the title song. Mm, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I like that song. It's um, it's it runs at a good clip, and it it's a upbeat song. It is for yeah. a, for a pandemic song. You know, I I just wanted to <laughs> for a you pandemic know, song. I yeah, like I that. mean, it, it's it's like a an oxymoron. You know, it, yeah. it just it it's um, you know, I was just when I was writing it, I was just thinking about all the uh, the dance videos that people were putting up on YouTube and you know trying to figure this thing out and how to be and oh my God, it's going to be another week and then it was another month and you know I was trying to really capture all that but not have it be um, you know sort of like brought down in in a very heavy uh, feel. You know, not not for that song. There's another song on the album <laughs> that 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 it leans more toward that. But um, yeah, I just I just wanted this to be more of a it, it, a mo- you know moves. Yeah, yeah, and it did, it did. Uh, now was that with uh, your your My band of merry musicians there? Uh, that that was that was uh, Mark Nugent on electric guitar, myself on acoustic on rhythm. Uh, Mark Mancini on on keys, and um, that was Sean Murray on drums on kit. Okay, okay, yeah. good. Now some of these people play with. Oh, Joe- and 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 I'm sorry, and Kevin Kelly on bass. Kevin Kelly on bass. You gotta yeah. love that guy. He is an awesome bass player. Yeah, he he is, and he's got the chops for it. I mean, and the history to to know oh, yeah. what to lay down, doesn't he? Yeah. He does. And, you know, so far, I think I've I've seen the the result of some of these musicians on a few of the people that I've interviewed over there on mm-hmm. Long Island. Yeah, it's a happening place out here. It's Tim. a happening place. You know, it is it's, Long uh, Island. Is it's it's so much good music here. <laughs> well, it is. All the music I've heard has been absolutely wonderful. From uh, from Kevin and Rory to. Uh, to your music, to Josie's, to um, Toby. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely amazing stuff. So, yeah. so let's uh, let's notch back now to uh, your earliest beginnings. What what got you excited about music when you were a kid? If maybe it happened later in life, but for most of us, it happens when we're really young. Yeah, I started really young. Oh my gosh, I think I was uh, I was really young, like five or so, when I started playing recorder. And then, you know, I... <laughs> you know, I, Josie mentioned that too, by the way. What is it did? with you Long Islanders that, <laughs> well, that embrace I the recorder up, like no other? <laughs> I did not grow up on Long Island. I am a city girl. City so girl, yeah. I grew up in, I, well, I grew up in Queens, so a Queens. borough of the city. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. close enough, right? Y- yeah. And let's see. So, yeah, I started out on recorder and then I... I um, started playing like Josie the accordion which that is really bizarre because I really don't meet too many accordion players but I was so small um, or young and short that they gave me a mini accordion and I blew through that the story goes because I don't really remember but I remember playing it that I blew through the music book with with our music teacher who came to the house and I had to graduate to the full-size accordion, but I was too short to see over it, so I had to change instruments. <laughs> <laughs> so there I was. They handed me a clarinet, of all things. Clarinet. <laughs> the one thing I loved about the clarinet was that, uh, for some reason, and I have no idea what how this is going to fall on listeners' ears, but I loved walking around our—I grew up in a little apartment. I—, I walking around the apartment sucking on that reed because it had to be soft <laughs> it did yeah 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 i played a baritone horn for a while and um so I, you know yeah it was uh, you know i wasn't a big kid when i played it so horking that thing back and forth uh you know because in seventh grade i started playing it and the band teacher said here you're gonna learn baritone mm-hmm. and i said but the sexy horn instrument is the trumpet and he said, you'll find solace in the fact that the fingering is identical. There you go. There you go. That wasn't much solace for me because I still had to hork that thing around. And as a yeah. smaller kid, I finally just said, 
enough. I'm not going to be a band <laughs> camp kind of person uh, horking this thing around. It just doesn't do it for me. Right. But well, here a couple times I I was able to fit part of that baritone horn mouthpiece into a trumpet, and darned if I couldn't play it as well as I wow. could. Wow. Wow. The other one. So good for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I'm sure frowned upon by our band teacher but well yeah so what's interesting though is here I was with the clarinet and I played that for probably a year or two um I think I was all of 10 and um I never did play like in school I was not in band I was always in chorus so I always sang and when I was playing the clarinet, I'm like, but I want to sing. And my friends were starting to, you know, pick up guitars. And so there went the clarinet. And I got, you know, my first little nylon Giannini guitar. And I was self-taught on that. I, was, I, I had had it with music lessons. I just wanted someone to show me chords. And I really just studied what people were doing and what friends were doing. And I taught myself guitar. Oh, well, um, good for you. Yeah, yeah. But um, I did spend a number of years, the New York City uh, public school systems at that time, I have no idea about current days, but at that time when I was growing up, it was a very lively music program. So I got to sing with what was known as the Borough-Wide Chorus. It was an audition chorus from kids in junior high school, um, uh, to participate in this course, and it was pretty rigorous. Um, so I did that, and then in high school, I auditioned for and was accepted to All City Chorus, and that was a uh, that was like serious chorus work. And you know, these choruses doubled for me um, as as vocal coaching because I, I come from a lower middle income um, family, and they didn't have the wherewithal to get me voice lessons. These music lessons that I had when I was younger, I mean, that was very small potatoes. Um, there was this Mr. Klein, the music teacher. I lived in a garden apartment complex. And so Mr. Klein would come around and he would like go to every household because there were kids in every house and he'd go from one to the other half hour. And um, you know, he probably did very well um, in our neighborhood. But yeah, so I, I then really, voice was my thing, um, and, and guitar, and I played music all throughout um, high school. I, you know, we had a very, very um, full music, um, or a lot of people in high school who went on to be pretty famous musicians. I think the first time I played out, um, I was about 15, and my sister, who was three years older, she and her friends took me to a, a local, you know, wine and cheese places where all the rage back then. And I, I brought my guitar, and they pushed me up on stage. <laughs> and I, I have no idea. Oh, no, I do know what I I sang a Neil Young song. I think it was like, you know, uh, oh, I don't. I don't remember which one it was, but it was probably a Neil Young song. Four Dead point. in Ohio. It was not that one now. <laughs> um, that yeah, would have I was been a, serendipitous if it had been, right? It would have been. It would have been. Um, yeah, I was also a very big Joni Mitchell fan. She was okay. my hero. Oh, my God, was, I was she just, my hero? I uh, was just reviewing a song that I was thinking maybe I would do a cover of, um, uh, Both Sides Now. I was just doing it yesterday, uh, uh, looking great at song. her music. and. uh that song, by the way, has my absolute favorite of all time lyrical passage uh, that I've looked at love from both sides both, now, you know, up and down, give and take and still somehow. And here it is. It's love's illusions. I recall. Yep. Absolutely yeah. Absolutely blows the charts off of yeah. anything I've ever heard. Yeah. That is my favorite. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to hear you say that because, I mean, I just think that her songwriting, you know, between her and Leonard Cohn, I mean, you know, my gosh, they're just like the, the, the upper upper of, of songwriters. Yeah, and, you know, I can't say that I, I delved into everything about her because I didn't. There were a few of the songs that just, for me, resonated. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Leonard Cohen, uh, the same. I, in mm -hmm. fact, I probably know less of Leonard Cohen than I do mm -hmm. uh, Joni. But right. um, yeah, the thought crossed my mind. I need to reach out to her people 
and try and get an interview. But, you know, that's yeah. anytime I run into managers, I don't get very far. <laughs> yeah. 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 So then I, you know, I went off to college and I played in a a folk rock band. There were four of us and all I had with me at the time. So I went from my six string nylon Giannini to a 12 string Epiphone in high school. And I played that 12 string Epiphone. I lugged that. It was really heavy. It was rosewood. It was really weighty. Now, was that a 70s era 12 string? Yeah. 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 They were, they were heavier, weren't they? Yeah, mid to late 70s and then into the 80s. And that's all I played was, you know, even in that folk rock band, Silver Shadow. Um, and we played everywhere. It was up upstate New York. And after college, I played, you know, did the whole wine and, and cheese circuit. And then I decided that I wanted to really start writing and playing with other people. And I bought, I think, what was I playing then? I bought an Ovation guitar. Um, I never that, liked ovations because they always, they wouldn't sit on my body the right way and they just sort of yeah. slide out and I'd have to strum sort of yep. perpendicular to the body. <laughs> yeah, that fiberglass rounded oh, back. It was, it was For me, it was horrible, but I knew people that swore by them. Yeah, I got used to that. And and so, yeah, so, so I formed um, with two other um, musician friends or musicians, I, they weren't, we weren't friends first. We just happened, I don't, we were somewhere and we met at some musical whatever happening and we clicked. And so we were known as um, the trio choice and we played all over the city. Um, That's, I was very active. That was probably in the um, late 1980s through late 1990s. We played a lot. We were I was gigging constantly, um, and it was a really good good period for me. I was doing all the writing. You know, we did covers as well, um, but the three of us we just really had a, a good thing going until Lisa, our our flautist and pianist, decided to up and move to North Carolina. Oh. <laughs> so there went our trio. And but it was okay because um, Peggy Rogatz on she played jazz guitar. She was a great jazz guitarist, and she and I just just kept doing what we were doing, and then we were just known as Sussman and Rodriguez. Wow! And we just kept playing um, until we decided not to, and I just um, uh, went on my own for a very short time, probably no more than two years. Um, and then I, toward the end of that two year period, I got a regular gig at Kenny's Castaways in the village when that was still around. And I was playing there routinely. They started up a, a Sunday folk, um, uh, day. And so I was one of their regular people. And, um, then in 2005 was, it started with, um, caretaking for parents sure and yeah it yeah. hits us all at some point it 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 really and I my guitar or I should say my guitars at that point just you know sat in a corner of my room for a good 10 years um during which time I myself came down with an autoimmune condition that affects my joints Ooh. and I was having trouble with my hands and not a good thing for a guitarist no it's not or a so, piano player. Or exactly. But after about 10 or 12 years, um, when all of our parents were gone and I was in uh, better shape physically, I reconnected with, with my music. And, you know, we were talking earlier about open mics, and I decided to just take a, a stab at it one day and I brought my guitar and I got up and sang and for me it was like oh my god have I missed this and the reception that I got from other people was where have you been (laughs) you know people I didn't know I had no I didn't know anybody in that group Um, just where have I been on the scene 
Tell us about the backstory to my baby. Well, I just have to say first oh, that okay. I was having having such a good time just just chit chatting. I forgot there was another song. <laughs> yes, my baby, it's there. All right. It's so, not yes. that upbeat song that you talked about, but no, it's not. And it's also just the players on this are just myself on acoustic slide yeah, and yeah. and Mike on on lead guitar. Yeah. And so yeah, so my baby. Um, is a little bit uh, my my 2019 album pass it on down wait a minute my baby was on these walls i'm confusing myself now my baby was on my 2021 these walls album but my 2019 pass it on down album was was sort of my my crossover album from folk to blues and i have my own style of blues i guess it's folk blues or whatever you want to call blues. it although why not so, some people just say it's just straight on blues in any event I I really have settled into my own kind of sound with this, but I wrote this because I was really disturbed by some friends of mine, and, and I know at some point they'll listen to this podcast and no names here, but I was very disturbed hearing from people who are in long-term relationships and very secure relationships that there were still these jealousies that would rear, you know, rear their head at, at, at times. Right. And, you know, it's just, I mean, relationships are just such an interesting thing because, you know, people are people and you think you know someone and then they go and do something wacky or that you don't expect. Right. But, but this song is written for people in a relationship who know better about each other, still get jealous, but it's like, and they throw a fit, but they always come back and they always come back together. And it just kind of keeps going on that way. And the last line in my song really speaks to that. I won't give that away. Don't I'll give it let, away. I'll just let you play it. Get people <laughs> staying to the end of this. Okay. <laughs> This is called My Baby. Fun little song. Yeah, it is. 
It is, and uh, definitely bluesy. There's no question about it. I wouldn't call that folk blues. That was, that's blues. Okay, yeah, I have she, to learn to own that. You, yeah, own it because it's. There's no way to put it any other way. That's that's that is muddy blues from Mississippi. Yeah, there's you know that these walls album is half all I guess alternative folk and half blues. Yeah, it's it's really split equally. Five tracks one way, five tracks the other. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it sure is. So uh, so that song was released on these walls also. Yes. So how did uh, these walls and my baby do? Did they get airplay? Did they get Oh, yeah, traction? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think it was six weeks after the release of the album of These Walls. There were 10 tracks. Um, it landed as at number one on the Roots Music Report um, chart for alternative folk and number five on their alternative folk um, best in 2021 albums, and it's still charting in the top 20 a year later. Wow. It's been in the top 20. Um, maybe it's it might have dropped a little bit, but um, it's been on their alt folk um, top chart for over a year now, every week. So, so that, do, you, do you have a process to market your music? Is there some strategy to it that uh, you can share with? people that are hopeful not a great strategy but i can share what i've done <laughs> i mean you know a lot of people use use promoters um who take care of a lot of their marketing and sending out cds and contacting hosts i am a one-stop shop do it all herself you know band <laughs> so um well you were in I, publishing though right so i it's yeah, not but the I, same mystery for you is well it? I wasn't in um, like book publishing. I I worked in scientific um, uh, academic press, okay, that so that was a whole different. That was, <laughs> I was on the editorial side, but not in science. You know, copy editing and production, okay. a lot of tech. So yeah, I just you know I've I've after my first album, I really didn't know how to market it. So every road, it it got some airplay, and it still gets some, um, but. I learned that what I needed to do was to really um, try to cultivate relationships with radio hosts and really um, take the time, put the time in to explore hosts and explore programs and playlists and, you know, make spreadsheets of, of these, these um, programs and who I would try to contact you can't always find their emails in which case I would just use their uh, radio site for the address to send a physical CD these days um, DJs half want physical CDs half want don't and they just want the tracks um, so it really is a an arduous process of um, learning who's who where you would fit in um, you know, I market myself heavily to the folk community, but I also have branched out from that. There are some great, sta I mean, there are a ton of great stations out there. You just need to find them and you need to find the programs and then contact the hosts. And that's what I've done. Um, there's a great, um, well, there, there are wonderful programs everywhere. I, I really don't want to start you know, rattling off because I don't want to leave anyone out. Yeah, so, isn't that the burden we all have that we start yeah. thanking people and right. you leave somebody off and in, unless they're really understanding, they're really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I so. won't go there. But it is a process. You really need to um, explore. You really need to sit and listen. And it, like I said, it is very, it can be very um, painstaking because so now, you're listening when to you so sell much. your music, do you do sell CDs? I still sell CDs, um, you know, streaming all my music's up on streaming and that's just kind of killed, you know, a lot of the CD market or the physical CD market. Um, when I was gigging out and doing, um, some touring, I would sell a lot of CDs, but you know, these days, it's it's just all people just download tracks of what they want. Yeah, I'm you know I'm finding with indie artists that they're they're back to selling CDs. It's not a discarded medium yet. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I think, enjoyed a resurgence because what's happening is, is people, it's so easy for musicians to put their stuff up on streaming sites, they lose mm-hmm. the sale. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. make no money from streaming. Right. But I, I, and I know that because I'm one of those people, (laughs) you know, but, but, but I feel like I have to be there. There, there is, you know, it it just feels like my music has to be accessible at this stage of my career. Um, What's most important to me is that my music be heard, which, you know, thanks to radio hosts, both here in the U.S. and abroad, it is. And, and that really is the most critical thing to me, that my music falls in people's ears. So tell me, how many instruments do you play? I really just play guitar. I fiddle with keyboard. Um, and you recorder? Know, well, from when I was <laughs> way young. <laughs> hey, just for the record, so people know I'm not bashing recorders, I've got a closet just back here. I still have a recorder that that from time to time I dust off and uh-huh. imagine, could I work this into a song? So right. I still have one, hey, that, that for the record. Nice woody woody tone. But I, I really am a guitarist, you know. Yeah. I've, I've, I no longer, I've sold my ovation, you know, years ago. And I, I have a couple Martins that I love. I'm a, I'm a, you know, you're either a Taylor person or a Martin person. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a Martin a, person. I have a Taylor. I sold my Martin and my favorite guitar is my Guild. So, mm, no, mm-hmm. I, to me, it's not a one or the other in this no, case. No, it's not. I realized after I said that, can I edit that out? <laughs> No, we're keeping that. That's meaningful <laughs> stuff. That kind of reveals who we both are. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people that swear by Martins. I interviewed one guy that said that, uh, you know, saying that you play anything else is almost sacrilege. So, he yeah, I don't Martin feel that. Yeah. I, I don't feel that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do. They, they just feel right to me and sound right to me. So, yeah, yeah. sure. You know, yeah. My tailor, I play more than my guild now, but it's because it's a little bit smaller footprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find the big dreadnought that my guild is is great. If I'm going to go live in a big auditorium and I want that big sound, you know, that guild can deliver. So right, yeah. right, okay. Do you use any effects when you play? Effects pedals? Uh, um, no, I don't. Wow, I, I don't. Um, I'm you know, well, how many from my I- my voc. My vocals, I just, you know, put a little reverb on yeah. and I'm good to go. Well, I, I'm amazed at how many guitar players I talk with that, like you, don't use effects on, on their guitar. And yet I do. Mm-hmm. I have no mm-hmm. problem doing it. I'll use delays, reverbs, flanges, whatever mm-hmm. I think is suitable for what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. When I was playing in the trio and then the duo, um, I, had, I used a flanger pedal. But, you know, I, I have not used any pedal since. In the 70s, uh, not the 70s, the 80s, you could not, I could not part with my uh, boss chorus pedal. <laughs> yep, yep. I had to have that uh, on there. And, and mostly it was because the pickups I had on the guitar at the time were not very good. Mm-hmm. So that was the way to mask a less right. than perfect... Uh, and that's with the guild, by the way. They, I've since changed the pickups to being, you know, what they are today. Right. Uh, but back then, they were um, they were challenged. Let me just yep. put it that way. So yeah. Anyway, yep. uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. And before we say our goodbyes, uh, tell us how people can reach you because we'll include this stuff in the uh, in the show notes. But sure. why don't you just give a shout out to any websites you have or yep. locations where people can, can yep. go. Absolutely. So you can reach me on my website, which is simply lindasussman.com, S-U-S-S-M-A-N. And uh, my music is on all the streaming sites. So Spotify, uh, YouTube, Pandora, um, Deezer, everything. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, we'll have the uh, the website in the show notes also, so... Great. That'll be there. Thank you so much, Linda, for being with us. I had a great time. The music is absolutely fabulous. I know why Josie Bello referred you. Uh, and it was just 
charming talking with you. Thank you, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your inviting so many artists to your podcast. I think it's a great thing you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. In, In about a year from now, we'll try and do an update. A very short Fabulous. format kind of an update so your fans know what's going on. Great. I, I hope we make a lot of fans for you. I know that uh, this is going to be a fascinating interview for people. Thanks Thank you so for your much. time, and we will talk with you later. Thank you. That concludes our interview with Linda. I had a great time talking with her. I'm sure you had a great time listening to her and her stories. You can become a fan of Linda's simply by joining localopenmic.com. Remember to follow or to subscribe, depending on the site you're on. It could be different. Her contact information and her website and Spotify locations are in the show notes. Be sure to check those too. There's always meaningful information in the show notes. So for Local Open Mic, I'm your host, Tim Heath. Remember, get up on the stage Step up to that microphone. The world is listening.